The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the person of interest, Kevy podcast, dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, can with me, because a guy who's just not going to take Samaritan anymore, my co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we continue our coverage of the spring 2016 TV season with our review of three episodes of Person of Interest and an episode of Orphan Black, along with Dan and Michael's supernatural review of last week's penultimate episode and this week's season 11 finale. But before we get into all of that, we've got a News with Nico section about Game of Thrones, The Americans, Thor Ragnarok, and The Iron Fist show coming to Netflix for you Marvel fans. The Americans renewed for season 5 and 6 as FX sets end date. The Cold War is nearing its inevitable end. FX has renewed the Americans for season 5 and season 6, with the latter serving as the acclaimed series Swan Song, the cable channel announced Wednesday. The 13-episode 5th season will air in 2017, followed by a 10-episode 6th and final season in 2018. FX co-president Eric Schreier said the two-season order will allow co-showrunners Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields to tell this story to its perfect conclusion, adding, we look forward to a brilliant final act of the Jennings family saga. Fields and Weisberg, meanwhile, will continue their relationship with FX beyond the Americans as the pair have closed a new overall deal with FX Productions that calls for them to develop a new series. The Americans' current fourth season concludes on Wednesday, June 8th. If you're not watching this series, binge watch all four seasons immediately. The internet can't stop shipping Brienne and Tormund. Things have been heating up between our new favorite will-they-won't-they couple on Game of Thrones, and the internet, in true internet-y fashion, has been full on board this ship since day one. Tormund staring longingly at Brienne has become the look that launched a thousand ships. Okay, well, just one ship. And don't we wish everyone could find someone that looks at us like Tormund looks at Brienne? And it's not a real ship unless it crosses multiple platforms, and this ship is already ten times stronger than the Titanic, and far from as luxurious. Everybody's getting in on the meme, including the at Game of Thrones HBO Instagram and the fan art. Oh, who could forget the fan art? Follow the link in the ACC feed to see some of the best collected by Nerdist.com. Carrie Ann Moss is back for the Iron Fist series. Last year, Carrie Ann Moss joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the first season of Jessica Jones. Today, Marvel and Netflix jointly announced that Moss will continue to reprise her role as Jerry Hogarth in the Iron Fist series. Moss's character is a gender-flipped version of Jaron Hogarth, a lawyer who has worked closely with Danny Rand, Iron Fist, since his first appearance in 1976. Moss's Jerry Hogarth is a more morally ambiguous character who isn't as altruistic as her comic book counterpart, but her inclusion in the Iron Fist series makes sense. In fact, she may be one of the few characters to appear in all four of the original Marvel programs on Netflix if she shows up on the Luke Cage series as well. Near the end of Jessica Jones' first season, Hogarth was on the verge of being forced out of her firm, but by the time of Daredevil's second season, Hogarth was seemingly back in control when she hired Foggy Nelson. That scene may also hint about Hogarth's agenda as she indicated to Foggy that she is getting ready for cases revolving around vigilantes. Hogarth had also tried to use Kilgrave's unborn child to replicate his powers, which suggests that she envies the abilities of enhanced humans, or she wants to control them if possible. The Iron Fist series is currently in production, however, doesn't have a premiere date yet, but it is likely to drop on Netflix in 2017.
Jamie Alexander teases her return in Thor Ragnarok. Earlier this week, Marvel Studios unleashed the cast list for Thor Ragnarok, which confirmed Kate Blanchett and Tessa Thompson as Tila and v- Valkyrie, respectively. There were also the surprise additions of Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster and Carl Urban as Scourge the Executioner, and yet fans were equally shocked by the apparent absence of Lady Sif and the Warriors 3, Thor's best friends on Asgard. If Asgard is going to face Ragnarok, you expect its best heroes to be there. Fortunately, Lady Sif portrayer Jamie Alexander has apparently hinted at her return in the movie with a no tweet. She says, don't worry, winky smiley face. It truly wouldn't be a Thor film without Sif, but there are still plenty of questions about what she'll be doing in Thor Ragnarok if she's isn't accompanying Thor and Hulk on their intergalactic road trip. The Marvel movies may tend to ignore the Marvel television shows, but it's possible that Sif's two appearances on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. may hold some clues about what she's been up to. As fans, we know from Thor The Dark World that Loki has seized the throne of Asgard while posing as Odin. That means Loki has been in power for a few years now, and Sif didn't exactly seem to be happy running errands for him in her two TV appearances. This is also another thing to keep in mind about Sif in the Thor franchise. When Loki first assumed female form in Marvel's comic book universe, he did it in Sif's body. Perhaps we may finally see Lady Loki in the potential final Thor movie. That would be a much bigger role than I initially anticipated for Jamie Alexander, but I'd be down for it. And that's the news with Nico for this week. So if you're an Americans fan and you're excited about more episodes, that's awesome for you. Then we're going to go into talking about a show that's on its way out. But I think it's going to go out strong with the way these three episodes we got went. First was a little weak, but the other two were great stuff. So let's talk about this first episode that I enjoyed because I think it was kind of there last time to have some fun with the show before all hell breaks loose. So let's talk about the person of interest episode. Okay, more perfect union. The team's new assignment is protecting a couple on the day of their wedding. Someone wants to stop the wedding, or do they? Meanwhile, Fusco crosses paths with Bruce when the two of them investigate the new player in town, each unaware that it's Samaritan. Alright, so if this episode was designed as an excuse to bring that accursed character Zoe back, Guy would be ripping the crap out of Ken right now. But since she wasn't in it, Ken didn't go to the wedding with Greece, thank God. Guy saw it for what it was, which was meant to be a fun call before the storm episode, where the cast got to be goofy with their characters. Can we as the Got a final taste of this great show's standard formula before the final battle against Samaritan goes into high gear. Can they blow the doors off of what the machine is capable of to defeat its arch enemy? Pika, do you think this episode was witnessing our last moments of peace for the Prison of Interest team? Because we know it based on the conversation they had during the wedding about giving the family they were investigating a night of happiness before their lives were going to be blown to hell. Yeah, that was really my feel, Dan, when watching this final scene of the episode. I thought it was very much felt like the calm before the storm sort of feel to the scene and really the entire episode as well. Also, I was in the same boat as you were and I was worried with a wealthy family that was having trouble with blackmail or threats against the father, that was going to mean that Zoe had been hired by the family or had been a longtime client of hers as a political fixer and that she'd be at the wedding. I was so happy when she was not in the episode. I hate that character. I've said it every time she's been on and I hope we never see her again. I think that's unlikely, but that's my hope. I don't know where they have time for her anymore. No. I, I just really don't know where they have time. And the way that two episodes after this ripped up, there's no way they could bring her in. Maybe for like a flash, you know, as, as someone that comes in and comes in the final episode, just to like shoot somebody or something. But I don't think we're going to see a full-blown Zoe episode. That's a good thing. Yeah, I think so too. No, I just think we hurt the momentum of the season. Especially when they kind of grown out Grease's love interest too. So I feel like that's not where they want to go. Now I will give the storyline with the wedding credit for having the interesting twist of the photographer being the number. Could not a relative to the 
variety group. But this would have just been a filler episode in my book. If it wasn't for the other two brighter plotlines, building up the oncoming storm. So did you like how this episode got the threat of Samaritan building in the background? To so continue the idea of even the formulatic episodes of this series having an importance regarding its entirety? For the most part, Dan, unfortunately, it felt like this was mostly a snooze of an episode. Yeah. The twist of the photographer being the one truly in trouble and the father not being involved at all, merely the daughter behind it all threatening the photographer who caught her in the act of juicing the racehorse. But like we've said many times before, even when the series gives us a seemingly less important episode, it still ties back to the overall story, progresses the story, and gives us hints at the overall mystery or story of the season and series. So I think this episode did just that as well, especially Fusco's story, which was really interesting and is uh, your next point. So I won't jump into it now. I'll let you jump on it. Can I will say for his storyline, Ken Shaw's storyline, that's what kept me in this episode. I would oh, say yeah. the mate's main plotline, you're absolutely right. It was kind of a snooze. But the other stuff kept me kicking in there and kept me interested. Can I kept saying, go back, go back, go back throughout the entire episode. Can as for these side plotlines, I mean, I thought it was cool that Fusco was conducting his own investigation, getting the missing persons. Ken was smart enough to know he had to put his evidence in a place where the machine could not see him. Can did you like it that Fusco took matters into his own hands? Even though it ended up with him getting buried alive? Will this be enough to make Fitch realize? I mean, well, I guess he wasn't. So we'll skip that question, because I wrote this before watching the other two. Well, we we know the answer to the question. He, he, right. he does survive. But when I saw the episode, I thought it could have really gone either way with whether or not Reese and Finch were going to be even more conscious about right. bringing Fusco in, or if they were going to tell him the secret. Obviously, we know the answer to that since we've seen all three of these episodes. But at the point of this episode, I thought it could go either way. That they would realize, hey, we need to let him know he's going to be in danger anyway. Let's tell right. him. Or they could be like what they did do. No, we have to keep him safe. We cannot tell him. Look what he almost got involved with when he didn't even know. So it could have gone either way at this point. I thought his number was going to come up and they were going to have to fight it. That's what I thought was going to happen. Okay. You know, that, that, that would be the next episode. Going to get it to go that way. We'll talk about that in a minute. But with this Fusco storyline, I also think it's safe to say Goliath is totally going to be on board with taking Samaritan down because it's killed a man he considered to be his younger brother. Because after the things he's done to convince people he cared about, go respect him like his bodyguard, with, you know, the scar and Carter, you can bet your bottom dollar. He's going to make Greer and Samaritan kind of all the pay. Oh yeah, I agree. Especially once Elias learns what Samaritan is, who Greer and the Samaritan operatives are, and what they're planning, I- I'm pretty much sure he's gonna he's gonna join up right away, no doubt. Right. He's already fearful of technology taking over our lives when he realizes that it already has literally taken over and is influencing everyday people's lives, deciding who lives and dies, and put a hit out on him, Bruce, and Dominic, even though they were enemies, he still will feel that that was a dangerous precedent set. He won't stand for it and will join the fight immediately. I don't think he's healed enough to really do it yet but as he does heal and learns what's going on you better believe he's going to want to join that fight but he kind of alluded it to it in the next episode yeah exactly well definitely and again i like that i'm happy about that i know you are too good to see him go down. Yeah. But finally, Quishaw, I mean, the question came there, to my mind, and again, we know it didn't happen, but it was like, is she going to go along with Samaritan because it's predicting World War Three, or is she just going to, or the other thought I had was she was just going to go along with Samaritan until she gathered enough information to help the person of interest team when she, you know, she escaped, which we saw happen in the third episode. So there this week, again, I don't know if she got the intel, but she, she did escape. In my mind, I think Rear got Samaritan is very overconfident to think the machine hasn't seen this coming because I think if the government was still 
seizing machine. Again, the terrorist attack that starts the war didn't get noticed with the relevant number. I think Fitch and Reese would have ended up on the trail of this terrorist attack if they were pointing towards it with their relevant number. So, Nico, do you think Samaritan is greatly underestimating the machine's ability as well? Or is this a product of Fitch holding the machine back because why Samaritan didn't think the machine would notice it? So the important thing we learned in this episode with regard to Shaw, it was made evident in the next episode as well, and we will dive deep into it in the second episode of the week. But essentially, remember when I said that even the strongest mind like Shaw's that realizes she's in a simulation would eventually crack under the pressure of the constant bombardment of these simulations. She was losing and eventually lost track that she was in another simulation in this episode, and that her field trip with Greer was nothing more than a different simulation run by the Samaritan to speak directly with Shaw and meet her face to face in a controlled environment where it could show her what it wanted to, her to see, the predicted future of World War III. I don't believe that Samaritan is underestimating the machine because the machine has been blind to a whole bunch of numbers and seems still not fully operational, but that once it is fully operational, I think it will be up and running and, and Samaritan will adjust to that. That was also the point of Fusco's story, that the machine missed all those numbers with the number it did give and all of those other deaths that were involved with it. It, it should have picked up on those numbers as well. Right. The, machi the machine's blind to activities of Samaritan, or at least some of them, and Samaritan knows that. So, without outside help, I think the machine does not stand a chance against Samaritan, as is evidenced by the over 9 trillion to zero score in the simulation's pinches running in that Faraday cage. The machine and the person of interest team need more help, and an outside advantage. Elias will be part of that. So too, I predict, will a number of former numbers coming back to help. Right. So, I don't think Samaritan's underestimating the machine. I think the machine is not living up to its potential right now, because because it's it's still getting back to where it was. But if okay, but if it was where it was, like in earlier seasons, it probably would have caught this terrorist attack. Well, this correct? was just a simu simulation. But yes, okay. I imagine that it would have caught a terrorist attack like this. Yeah, if it was the real deal. Okay. That's just kind of what I want to clarify on that one. But for the point that Samaritan was making was that it wouldn't be until someone was in trouble that it would realize that. But that's right. actually a, a false because the relevant numbers would have come up and caught that beforehand and it would have gone through the proper channels. The person exactly. of interest team wouldn't be taking care of terrorist attacks. They exactly. take care of the irrelevant numbers or the ones that the government thinks are irrelevant. Right. So I just wanted to make sure they got all their logistics straight. I think they do. They normally do. Yeah, I think it was Samaritan trying to trick Samin. Yes. And that was why she was kind of thrown off by it. Because she doesn't know all the information about the machine. Right. Yeah. Because speaking of the machine's ability, you know, what things, I mean, obviously you think it needs more repairs, but what other things do you think they're going to do so it can fight back and win a simulation and get real life battle against Samaritan? Because did you like that Finch was skeptical about improving the machine? Because he's worried that they, because the human members of the team, could abuse the power? Because should we be worried about Root being that team member that the power corrupts? Could be the second episode hit it to get to that, but could get circle further? Could after the final battle is all said and done with, with well, the machine's new abilities make it realize she should destroy herself. Get Samaritan, kind of like the Terminator did a Terminator 2 to put the artificial intelligence genie back in the bottle. One of the main reasons Finch has always feared the machine he built was that he fears the corruption of man, even more than a Skynet event. He does not trust humans not to abuse the power that comes with the information that comes from the machine. That was why he made it a closed system, so that no one person could ever abuse the power of the machine. Even he could not backdoor his way into the system, and only made a one-way from the machine backdoor that provided the numbers, and 
really, that was Nathan's doing behind his back. Yeah. Vince also wiped the machine's memory every night at midnight to prevent a Skynet event from happening by limiting its ability to grow beyond its initial programming. But this was a secondary concern when compared to his fear of human beings being corrupted by the power of the machine and what it provides or could provide. That was why Control only ever got limited intel to act on to stop terror attacks and not the entirety of the intel or they would have realized how powerful the machine really was and attempted to co-opt it or reprogram it into an open system they could abuse. Finch is hesitant to leave the new machine open or to give it new abilities because he doesn't even trust himself to be immune from the fears and desires to destroy Samaritan from corrupting his coding or corrupting his thinking and he hesitantly said in this episode that if the machine needs an upgrade it would need to come from the machine itself because that would be the only way it could be trusted to be unbiased in the features code and abilities it was given and that terrified him of what that could entail in itself so he's scared to do it himself but he's also scared to let the machine do it itself even if he thinks that's probably the best course of well, can they touch upon it a little bit more? Get the next episode. Good, I want to make a point to the fear Fridge has. Because Elias brought up something interesting for the next episode. So I'll answer that question in a minute Could we get to that point. But first, let's move on to the second episode of Person of Interest that aired this week. QSO. While Root protects a radio host who has tapped into Samaritan's secret communication system, the machine instructs her in how to use it to con contact Samin. Meanwhile, Samaritan keeps chipping away at Samin's resolve, and Fusco realizes that Finch and Reese will never trust him with the truth. Guy was surprised this episode just started with Fusco lying in a hospital bed. Because I thought this episode was going to be a race to save him, since his number was going to come up because he was trapped underground by the tunnel explosion. Nico, because that was what you foresaw happening with Fusco possibly be the number of the week? I was expecting them to be searching the machine's feeds to try and find him and track him down by his last known cell ping, but I'm actually okay with it jumping off with him already saved, and it allowed us to jump into the next necessary story to keep the short season moving. Maybe if we were doing a 22 episode right. season, we would have seen the, that episode, but I think this got the same point across and moved on to the next needed story to move the overall story arc along. I don't think we actually needed those scenes, and I was right. okay with them kind of just skipping over them. Because that could have been a whole episode, and I think what they did here was more interesting than that idea yeah for sure right i think so again again we kind of thought each character was going to get their centric episodes this season to kind of wrap it up again we kind of got a reese episode we've got multiple french episodes which makes sense and i feel like this one was the root episode because it was kind of fun to see root go on those crazy missions that the machine sends her on that we only kind of hear about after the fact because she's dressed in a certain costume or something to fit that task again the ballerina thing was pretty funny here doing that whole story in her being at the uh the old historical home dress of the costumes and things like that. I just I thought that was fun to actually get to see those things. Again, it was very clever how the writer kind of weaved one commission into the other, ultimately leading us to a very interesting member that was a radio show conspiracy theorist who uncovered Samaritan's way of communicating with his operatives through radio interference. Dico was seeing Root go on the machine's wacky missions. Fun for you. Okay, what did you think about the clever idea of Samaritan using radio interference to communicate with his operatives covertly? Dan, this was great. Finally seeing how how the machine keeps Root safe by continually giving her new identities and sending her on these great little side missions that ultimately get them the supplies into the positions and the intel they need in their ongoing battle with Samaritan. I loved how the machine calculated the likelihood of each action Root took on being discovered and when necessary gave her a new identity. The best one was her churning butter at the old colonial house and then becoming the conspiracy producer character with the UFO t-shirt and all and I thought it was funny when she left the place and was like uh yeah how about that t-shirt. <laughs> 
<laughs> I also really like the radio host character this week, and the fact that he cracked Samaritan's code is what got him on its radar and ultimately killed. It was great that this week's number cracking the code gave the person of interest team knowledge of that code. Maybe not the ability to understand it yet or decode it, but now that they know about it, maybe they can use it or the machine could crack it and French and Root could create some sort of device so they can listen in on Samaritan's secret codes. Yeah, I really like that actor. Scott Adams. Yeah. He's a Chicago native, actually, from where Nico and I are from. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, he was also the voice of Betamax in Big Hero 6. Nice. So I thought it was fun that his name actually was Max in this episode because I wonder if there was a little nod to that movie, which was cool. So I, I like that they brought him in. I like the code cracking. This was a really good final season guest to bring in. I mean, he's not, he's not Keith David, but I thought it was a very good call to bring him in. Good actor for this type of role. Can I have to say, Nico, with that, because a podcast host, Samaritan really freaked me out. God used voice recordings to pretend that it was a caller that had been dead for days. God, really, we need to come up with a way to get a message to each other, Nico. Give an evil artificial intelligence. Quicks this sound suicidal kind of recording, okay? God, not going suicidal. You're not going suicidal, I don't think. So let's just make sure we work something out to deal with that. So, Nico, did it kind of freak you out how the writers of this episode turned something we enjoy doing on a weekly basis? Because it's something really frightening. Yeah, that was freaky, Dan. This There is actually hacker software out there that can yeah. be used to splice together audio and voice samples to make a sentence out of clips of audio, but it's nearly impossible to mix the tones and inflection to mimic the natural cadence of a person's speech, but a super AI probably could. Oh, and just in case, if you ever hear a suicidal message that purports to be from me, know that it is a fake. I don't believe in suicide. I've actually lost two friends to suicide over the years, so that way of killing me won't work, Samaritan. I'm sure you can think of millions of other ways to do it, but the fake suicide won't work in my case. Okay, that's the same with me too, so could we solve the problem? Podcast issue resolved. <laughs> yes, but it's so creepy out. Kishan's very good at that. Yeah, they use real-life situations and things that actually exist. They they heighten them, or they push them beyond right. what is real, but they use a basis in reality that makes it that much more crazy when you know that. Except for what they did in the third episode. <laughs> right. That's kind of freaky, but you can, you can tell me as a medical professional if that's legit or not when we get there. But for now, I know we got the answer to this question in the next episode, but when Shaw found out killing the scientist wasn't a simulation, did you think that we had lost her to becoming a sleeper agent, even after Root sent her the message to keep fighting? I didn't think she had broken to become a sleeper agent or to change sides or work for Samaritan. I thought Shaw realized she had broken. She could no longer tell reality from simulations, and she was a danger to herself, her friends, and the mission, so I thought she was going to kill herself, which is exactly what she was planning to do before Root got her that message. But when she got that message, her plan changed, and it became, I need to escape, and I need my friends to save me. I know right now, I am not in a simulation. So that was good. Someone got talked out of suicide. Good this episode. Yes. Correct out. That's good. Because I like that scene. I thought that was a great idea. But my question to that is, was Root risking the number of the week's life to get a message to Shaw, abusing the machine's capability, even after the machine seemed like it was telling her to send the message because it realizes they're probably going to need Shaw to defeat Samaritan? I'd say no, only because she ensured that the number of the week was safe before attempting to contact Shaw. Had she somehow truly risked the number of the week to get that message out, then yeah, I would say absolutely she was abusing her power and her place. But since she ensured his safety and knew that Reese was in the building and was there to protect him and then sent her message, that was fine. Almost giving herself up to be taken to Shaw was insane and not what the machine or the person of interest team needed, but she did not abuse her power or the machine's ability 
possibilities, in my opinion. So you think we're safe on that happening, though? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I there's always a possibility, or they get right. to the point where it looks so dire that they do something. I just don't know at this point what it's going to be. Claude Shaw could escape now. Good. Groot didn't fall for the division of this episode. So we might be safe. I don't know. Right. Good. Fitch getting upset was more probably about Root wanting to give herself up than it was her continuing the number, correct? Yeah. I mean, that's the next thing we're really going to talk about, but I, I was really confused by that. Yeah. Well, I, again, I didn't really understand why Fitch got so upset at the end. Not so much about that, but the machine explaining that she wasn't going to take away the radio host's free will to save him. Right. Because I thought that's why Fitch puts her limitations to the machine. That was how the writers were explaining the machine is the hero to Samaritan's villain. Nico, have I gotten the good and evil differences between the machines confused? Because from the sci-fi that I know, I thought an artificial intelligence fighting for or allowing humans to still have free will was a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I think Finch was upset that the machine did not let Reese and Root know that the mission wasn't over and essentially told them the threat was over when it was not. I disagree with Finch. And this is what Finch was worried about. His own biases and his own feelings of needing to save everyone getting in the way of the machine doing what it is meant to do. I think this was a glimpse at maybe Finch has lost his way or at least in this episode lost his way and lost his perspective. We absolutely want to maintain our free will and that is why Samaritan is evil because it takes away from most of us and those that exert their free will it kills. So I'm confused as well Dan. I think it was because Finch was being out of character because he's so hell bent on saving people that I think he lost sight of what is truly the mission of the machine for a little bit there. Well, I don't think it's gone away because Goliath called him on on it on the next episode. Right. So I feel like that this is like an arc thing that's going on now. Yeah, maybe. It's a character thing. And it's interesting why he's gone to that point. I don't know if it's because of too much loss or they're just kind of hinting, kind of going off the rails and then something really bad's going to happen and go, oh, man, he's really going to lose it. So, I'll get into that in our next our discussion of the next episode. But speaking of people being angry, can rightfully being angry about the rest of the team, not telling him about the machine, was Fusco. Because he's absolutely right about this because he's absolutely right for the team not to let them know what's going on because remember this is the guy that took down hr in a pretty kick butt fashion because i think that feed means he deserves more than the truth because he had a right to leave the team to prove his point because he's really never asked about the machine or really anything from them until he absolutely needed the information at this point Again, even the machine sees the necessity of telling Fusco the truth because it knows he is needs to defeat Samaritan. So it's really beginning to frustrate me that recent Finch can't see it that way as well. Nico, are you also feeling Fusco's frustration? Yeah, I understand Finch's reasons, and I even see the tactical advantage by keeping him in the dark and out in the open as a cop, and all that allows the, the team to do. But Fusco has a point that he has earned their respect and the right to make the decisions about his safety on his own. He's no longer the, the corrupt cop he was in season one. He rightfully feels he has earned their trust and should have earned their respect. And by not telling him what is going on and treating him like a kid needing protection, they're not respecting him nor giving him the credit he deserves for all the times he's done everything they've ever asked of him, often without asking questions. I think he needs to know, and maybe that is how they get him back on the team. They respect him and bring him back as a full member, secret lair and all. Well, the other thing is, he is not asking for the information for himself. He's asking you to do his job. Right. I love when he said that line is, you got to tell me because I got to do my job here. You're, you're protecting me, but okay, I'm a cop. I know the risks. That's what I have to do. I'm risking my life every day. So tell me what I need to know so I can protect and serve people. And then I said, I, I agree with him on that. Because he never asked before because he didn't need to ask. It wasn't putting people at risk. But now that the machine's goofing up, and he's tracking down numbers or he's finding missing people before the machine knows about them, yeah, he needs to know now. 
Can I think that's what the Machina Rube are trying to say? Can I think that Shaw will say the same thing when she comes back, if it works out that way? Okay. That That's my opinion. Because, you know, Fusco, I mean, he saved her bot several times. And, and remember, she lost her partner because they didn't know things about the machine. So that could come into play as well. At least to get Reese to see things their way. God, let's talk about the last episode of Prison Adventures we got this week, which also freaked me out a great deal. Got someone who goes to the doctor for different reasons and whatnot. The Prison of Interest episode entitled Reassortment. <laughs> Reese and Finch are trapped in a hospital ER when a super flu breaks out, and they realize that Samaritan is responsible. Meanwhile, Fusco continues his own investigation while Samin stages another escape. All right, if you're freaking me out about recording podcasts, growth is enough. This, this, this show decides to freak me out. Come on, going to the doctor's office. Because my doctor, and I'm sure most of yours, used the same computer system to order medicine that Samaritan tampered with to create a very nasty super virus. So I really hope this show gets blocked out in terrorist countries because they could do some pretty scary shit if they get into the medical database. Nico, as someone who's worked as a medical professional, did this episode make the hair stand up on the back of your neck? Because there anything you could tell us that won't make us so nervous about terrorists hijacking the medicine we pick up from Walgreens? Well, remember, in the episode, it said that the likelihood of combining two strains that were so perfectly situated that it would create the super flu was only possible by a super intelligent being like a an AI. So the likelihood very that good. terrorists could actually make this super flu is is very very low it would take very skilled biogeneticists to get the right sequences and everything like that so it would almost have to be a country that was doing this as a biological warfare agent rather than a terrorist so that aspect of it you can pretty much sit easy you can also sleep easy because the medicine you get from your local pharmacy is often not very strong or dangerous stuff so more than likely terrorists would never waste their time trying to hack or infiltrate a local pharmacy the pharmacies in a hospital are another matter but actually getting into the pharmacy system is a very complex hack and very difficult to pull off in the time frame that a hacker would be able to keep themselves hidden from the FBI homeland or other agencies. A more likely and equally deadly potential hack would be what they did to the Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center here in LA, where hackers infected that system with ransomware and prevented the doctors from accessing the computer system of the hospital. They lost access to the pharmacy and could not order the drugs they needed, could not access patient records, which were all digital, and could not use a lot of the networked machines like respirators, IV pumps, x-ray and MRI machines, and a bunch of others. The hackers wanted money paid in Bitcoin or they would not give them the unlock code that would decrypt their information. So if they did not enter that proper code, all the information on the system would remain encrypted and it would it could take anywhere from a few weeks to 50 supercomputers that could check a billion billion AES keys per second if such a if device could actually ever be built. That's faster than the, the current supercomputers. It would take 50 of those more than 10 to the 51st years to exhaust the entirety of the 256-bit key encryption. So that's three with 51 zeros after it. In other words, it is not possible to crack. So don't worry about hackers creating superbugs. Fear them just shutting down the hospital's ability to work, which luckily doctors are human and can work without records, just errors increase along with treatment times. So it wouldn't necessarily kill people by shutting out the computer systems, it just makes things a lot more difficult, and the likelihood of making a drug error when prescribing drugs because you don't have access to the electronic documents, you don't have the automatic air checking software and things like that. So errors 
go up and treatment times go up and people could die in that situation. Luckily, that doesn't happen very often because network administrators and security individuals know their business and they're usually very good at being able to prevent things from right. like that from happening. Probably but we think at the hospital. It's all the best. Yeah, it's all out there. It's all happens every once in a while and, you know, Call you got to be aware of it. Shut down in Hollywood. They were down for 4 days. Wow. Yeah, it was it was it was crazy. It's kind of scary. Yep. Carol no terrorists are listening to this podcast. Crackers for that matter. Don't take money from a bank or something. Don't don't endanger sick people. Right. That's kind of horrible. Go to get those people. If they didn't already get them. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking about this story at the hospital, I have to give the writers credit for making the security guard. The episode actually pretty formidable. Kind of helpful in the episode. Because normally on these types of shows, they are complete idiots. Or used as cannon fodder. Or they're the red shirts. So, Nika, are you glad they kind of broke the ball with this guy? Yeah, it was nice to see him actually able to do his job and work with Reese. Sure, nobody is going to be as skilled as Reese, but this guy came through and backed Reese up and was able to follow the orders given to him by Reese and wasn't the other stereotypical wannabe cop where he thinks he knows best and ends up getting himself or others killed that character either. I, I like that they played him straight because that's more realistic than the crap we get on most series. Blightspot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that was something they did on Blightspot. I was like, really? Come on? Can the person of interest did this and like, this is why this is a better show. Oh, the other thing is Reese and, and the Samaritan guys, when they get in gunfights, they're actually pretty close to, to hitting each other all the time. When you look at a show like Blindspot, Blindspot second half of the season was terrible with this. They would shoot 60, 70 bullets and no one would ever get hit on either yeah. side and that's just not realistic i mean i could see someone emptying an entire clip and not hitting somebody or, or shooting suppressing fire so that the other people can move around but i mean these are trained agents and reese is a top skilled one of the best in the world for him to walk in he usually kneecaps everybody first shot so yeah. i like that in this series that they actually show these samaritan people are you know right they've hit well, root and, and she's had bullets that they had to tear out of her and, and things like that luckily you know, it was in spots that were uh, non-life-threatening. Right. But still, gotta be, you got to give your credit. They pay attention to detail on everything. Yeah. Everything's well thought out. Everything's researched. They look, okay, if this is a special forces guy, what can he do? What's realistic? How do you make that work? And blind side is being lazy. They're not doing the research. Well, the funny thing about that show, they have complete conversations when they're firing the guns. Yeah. It's like they, they're like talking to each other because they're just shooting while they're talking. It's like, what? How does that work? My other thought is, how can you even hear each other to have a conversation when you're shooting that much? Goofy show goofy show yeah but back to president of interest i think the character of jeff blackwell because a great sympathetic villain because he really generally seems like a guy who wants to find redemption much like fusco in the early seasons of this show and i think that's really an interesting parallel between these two characters that they're really working for these gay eyes that they barely know anything about that they are sort of becoming suspicious of and it makes me wonder if a connection between these two guys is going to be formed because they try to figure out just what they've gotten themselves into because you sympathize with Jeff because it says that he's a guy seeking redemption that's just gone in over his head. Also, are you seeing the parallels between Jeff and Fusco? Dan, I do sympathize with him because he was manipulated by Samaritan to do a horrible thing and now is the face of this attack when in reality he was blackmailed into it. Before he acted on this mission and followed the orders, got his promotion and was given a new identity, essentially his clean slate he'd been looking for, I thought he was potentially going to become disillusioned by Samaritan and in a scene like the one he had with Root, but maybe this time with Reed, 
Greece, he'd ask for Reese to help him get away from Samaritan. But now I don't think that's likely because the team won't trust him and will believe that he is no good because of these actions and this attack on the hospital. I also don't see any chance of Fusco and him having any sort of bonding or coming together moment, which was another way I thought he might go to Fusco right. or there might be a situation like the one I described with Reese. They definitely have parallel stories and seem like they both just wanted to be good guys again and get their lives back from being a crooked cop and a felon, but they went different ways because Fusco was co-opted by the machine and Jeff was recruited by Samaritan and now their fates seem sealed. And that's unfortunate for Jeff because I think he was looking to turn his life around. Could he become a nemesis to Fusco because they're so parallel? I think Fusco is going to be hunting him for the rest okay. of the season. Yeah, okay. so I do think it's going it, to, not so much a nemesis, but I think they will go head to head a couple more times. Okay. So that, that could be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see if Fusco gets a chance to redeem or help the guy. But that seems very unlikely. Yeah, it seems less likely after this episode than it did before right. the episode. It's like that girl last season that they kept trying to help, and she ended up as a Samaritan operative. Yep. Yeah. But both the second and third episode we got this week, because they're moving on, got sort of had a hard time discerning what was really simulation, what was reality, and what was simulation for sure. Because I think it was meant to feel that way. But with her being in South Africa, and hearing the radio message come out, recent Finch stopping Samaritans, virus threat, guy fake her escape, because this episode took place in the real world. Because it was a cool Shawshank escape, by the way. Gabnika, do you think the escape was real as well? And do you think we are still going to see Shaw struggle with the difference between reality and simulation in future episodes? Oh, absolutely. This was in the real world this time, Dan. The Samaritan agent knew he was beat and had to stall for time because he'd never be able to take her in alone. So he was trying to confuse her and make her think this was just a simulation and give up. And I think for a time, she thought or acted like it might be another simulation, especially killing him in the end. But this is real. The problem is she can't be sure and her mind was broken and she can't trust that this is real life or a simulation so i do think she's going to be struggling with it she'll need to test things out and try to somehow either medically image her head and see if there's a chip in there or and if there is she'll have to figure out a way that she can fry it or remove it without killing herself or frying her brain at the same time i think before she knows for sure she will not reach out to the team and that's why i think at the end of the episode she was driving around all paranoid looking for some place where she could do these things and, and actually remove the chip before she makes contact with Root so she doesn't put the team in jeopardy like she did in all those situations and in the simulations. Because right now she's basically reenacting uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Is this the real life or is this fantasy? Yep, and she's uh, she's not sure. She, she really can't be sure until she can zap that chip in her head and then if she glitches after the chip is in her head, then she'll know she's still in a simulation. Right, but I think she's in the real world. Oh yeah, me too. At this point, I just think it could get too confusing if they kept her in there. Can we pull that trick once? Let's not do it again. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays. We'll see how soon she gets back to interacting with the team. Yeah. It looks like Goliath is on board for going after Samaritan, like we thought with finding out about Bruce. And Elias was right to send Fusco after Jeff because neither one of them would have found out any more information otherwise. Because I think they both showed their value to the team with their intelligence. Dave, could you agree that Elias should have confronted Fitch about using every soldier he has against Samaritan? Because really, if it wasn't for Fusco and Elias, all those people in the hospital could have died this week. Well, I actually disagree with that a little bit, Dan. Root was on the way with the cure, and most of the people would have survived even if the doctor and the nurse were killed and Reese injured in the fight. Sure, many more than did die. Would 
would have died with the the doctor and the nurse going down. But I don't think everyone would have. But yeah, Fusco was huge on this case and should be a full member of the team. I think we both agree on that and have discussed that a couple times over the last couple weeks. I think Elias wants to fight, wants to get out there and mix it up, but can't because he's still healing. He also doesn't have all the facts either and will maybe change his strategies once he does, but who knows for sure until we get to see him find out as well. I think Elias and Fusco need to know before they're going to be effective members of this team or effective right. allies to the team in the case of Elias. But they need to know now. Yeah. I mean, it's getting the point. Come on. These people need to know. Right. We only got five more episodes. Right. Or if Elias gets better, I mean, he's, he's going to get it out of them one way or another. Right. Right. Because speaking of which, again, with this getting solved, I thought the machine curing the virus was a great way to show how the team benefits from it now being open source. But Nico, do you think we're going to see a future episode showing us the detriment of the open source machine? I imagine, yes. Finch would not have made such a strong argument against the machine being open unless there was something that they wanted to show us was the danger of having the machine open and accessible to the team. We focus most of our discussion on this topic on the abuse factor, but what if the danger is something else? What if it is is something neither Finch or maybe even we were able to think of. Or what if it's Finch's himself? Right. Because... I mean, that's that's what I was saying a couple in the first episode right. is is I, I do think he is afraid of himself, but also we should be afraid of him now because of what you, you've mentioned a couple times about the confrontation between him and Elias in this episode. Right, which we're going to get to. No, I mean, former adversaries, God, a lot of TV shows and movies and books or whatnot, come tends to bring out the real truths come out the heroic characters. Yeah. So when Elias was telling Finch he was scared of the man that Finch could be with using all of his assets, he was foreshadowing possibly a future episode where a team member, or I think Grace, could be killed by Samaritan. God, this causes Fitch to abuse, to abuse the power out of you know, rage or anger, or upset, kind of like Barry Allen reacted on The Flash when right. a character was killed on that show. Yeah, I agree, Dan. I, I said a, a few moments ago when we were talking about the second episode, I think for a moment in that earlier episode, Finch lost sight of the purpose of the machine to save people without taking away their free will or choice in the matter. They can attempt to save them from outside forces, but he can't decide against the wishes of the person of interest they're trying to save to keep them from doing what they believe is the right course of action. I think maybe he will. That'll be somehow the way that Finch abuses his power by forcing his decisions on someone else's life until someone points out that he's no better than Samaritan by doing it. Maybe this is, you know, maybe this will be caused by a death or a close call of some or something like that. I just don't know. Well, we only have five episodes left to, to figure it out, but I, I think it's probably going to be in one of these next couple episodes coming up because it's not going to be in the finale, I don't think. Can I ask you this? Do you think Fitch may sacrifice himself to defeat Samaritan because he realizes that his knowledge is too dangerous for the world? Yes, I mean, that's always been a thought of mine, is that it's much like the the Terminator in Terminator 2 lowering himself into right. the molten, or having John lower him into the molten metal right. because the, the processor was too dangerous. And so Finch's brain and his ability to create artificial intelligence is too dangerous, so he may be a sacrificial lamb to save the world in, in that sense. And we had talked last week, I think it was, that there's a potential that Reese could also sacrifice himself to save a person or to save, to defeat Samaritan in the end. And I think one of the two is probably going to have a tragic end. That's just the oh, way I, I think the, the story is set up. Now, will it be Reese or will it be Finch? I think it'll be Finch. Yeah, I agree. I think Finch is going to go down with the machine like a captain goes down with the ship. Yeah, and I think the machine will realize that it it's too powerful and Finch either needs to close it off and make it what it was or 
originally or needs to destroy yeah. it along with himself and Samaritan. And maybe the only way that they can is a mutual destruction. But there is the idea that again, this is a superhero show. Got a lot of it's a superhero like show. Got I feel like a lot of those stories, people like it too, no way. They're still out there fighting. They're still out there doing something. So I feel like there needs to be a way that they could still help person the vitreous. Because we know they're still out there helping people. Guys are ending. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If, if it wants to be a hopeful ending, then that's definitely the way it goes. If it wants to be a tragic ending, I think it goes with Finch going down with the two AIs. Yeah, I agree. Good. So, uh, I think that wraps up our discussion on the overhaul of Person of Interest this week. Man, that was a long discussion. Probably the longest discussion on the show, but that's what three episodes a week do to you. Yep. God, that's a long show. And with that, we're going to talk to talk about a show that is a single episode this week. Because that's Dwarf and Black. Gritico's dad's going to come in to talk with him about the episode, The Antisocial Legend of Sex. Sarah goes back to old habits to cope with her decision, and Cosima attempts a Hail Mary back at the lab. Well, damn, things fell apart this week, didn't they? I mean, S basically disowned Sarah, and my heart hurt when she said Sarah would always just be the clone she adopted, not truly blood. Cold, S. Cold as ice. Elsewhere, Cosima's lost all her fight and became so desperate she almost maggot-botted herself. Susan has thrown in the towel, and Rachel is hallucinating Neolution swans. Evie Cho has solidified her new place at the top of Neolution by dismantling the old guard, selling off the Lido assets, and cutting the unaware clones free while dismantling the monitor program. Now, of course, these self-aware clones are our clone club can't be left as a threat, so Evie Cho has a plan for them. But what is it? Another Helsinki, or is that the Donnie arrest? And Sarah was so distraught by the events of last week, she nearly followed Beth in front of the train. Of all the revelations and turns and things falling apart, other than the team Hendrix, what surprised you most this week, Dad? Well, first off, I don't think there's going to be another Helsinki, because I, I think I remember Evie saying, no, there's not going to be a, a, a Helsinki event. But what really surprised me and really kind of disappointed me was I think Sarah going all party has really got me. It's just really surprised. I thought she had gotten past that, but I guess old, you go back to your old haunts when you're really hurting. It was just a relapse into old behaviors. And and what is the deal with Dusty? I just couldn't get that. She seemed to be wanting to open up and then all of a sudden just threw everything back at him. So Yeah, I don't know either, you know, really. But let's talk maggot bots. So apparently Edie Cho's got a brand new maggot bot 2.0 coming out in a month's time and it couldn't come soon enough as she's got a bad case of shingles. Speaking of maggot bots, did you happen to catch Dizzy mention that a friend of his died trying to remove one and that he wasn't just asking about his friend yeah dizzy's got a maggot bot the way he got so aggressive about sarah having figured out a way to remove them safely that has me thinking he's got one too right removal was the opposite notion as in cosima's mind she was hell-bent on re-implanting sarah's megabot into her own body as a possible cure and it's not a terrible idea though it's not all that great either considering the damn thing healed itself and probably made it possible for sarah and helena to conceive and possibly be immune from the clone disease in the first place and According to Cosima, the risk is more than worth it, because even if she died from it, the reward is my death helps the sisters cure the disease. Damn. She's desperate after Evie absconded with all of her and Scott's data. Even before she tried to do self-surgery, Cosima spent most of the episode on the edge of her own sanity, 
devastated by the news that Delphine was dead and feeling responsible for Kendall Malone's death as well. Only, wait a second, holy twist of all twists, could it be true? According to Crystal, by way of Felix, this week's lifesaver of the Clone Club, twice actually, Delphine was shot by someone, but she was taken away by someone else, still alive, allegedly. Dad, Maggotbot 2.0, Cosima thinking of implanting Sarah's Maggotbot, Dizzy probably having one too, and Delphine's alive? What are your thoughts? Any insights? Wow. I, this episode had way too many revelations than your standard Clone Club episode, and I just kept wait, feeling like it was one of those whammo ads is, wait, you get more. But anyhow, first off, back with Dusty. I, I did not catch that Dusty had, you know, had, had a maggot bot. I, when he said, you know, I, I could have realized it when I heard him say, I have a friend who had a maggot bot. Well, but I did just didn't catch that. But I think you got, you're onto something there. I think that the maggot bot 2.0 might have something else that it does too, that I'm not really sure what it is. This, this, uh, doctor that was talking to Evie was way too up on it. And, and is Delphi really alive at this point? I don't know. Felix, uh, could have just been saying that to keep her alive, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't put it past Felix, but then again, I think Felix is too genuine of a person to do something that cruel. Hopefully she still is alive, but we've really got to start cleaning up some of these loose end stories pretty soon because we're running out of season. Yeah, I think Delphine's probably alive or was alive still when she was taken away from the scene. Whether she survived after that is to be seen, but that actually, I got a, a really crazy theory in a minute I'll get to. So Rachel is seeing that Neolution Swan now. Does that mean she's glitching like Ira and the casters, or does it have some other significance? Well, I'm not really sure that it's it's glitching. And I'm wondering if there's a problem with the bionic eye that's causing these hallucinations. It really doesn't seem to look like the glitching that you saw those uh, caster twin or clones had before. So right. I don't think it is that. Yeah, I wasn't sure. It, it seemed like there was some significance to it, but glitching was the first thing that jumped into my head. I think you're probably right. It's probably some sort of issue with the Neolution tech, and maybe it's an embedded code or an embedded message from someone trying to get her uh, idea. some sort of message and she just doesn't understand it yet. Now, the majority of the episode focused squarely on Sarah's return to old habits, namely going on a bender full of poor life decisions. She drank and screwed her way through a club, which, to be honest, I could have done without, with only Dizzy and her hallucinations of Beth to guide her. In a moment where it seemed certain that Sarah was going to end it all at the train station, Beth came to her, expounding upon the clones club's need of Sarah to keep them all together. So does this mean they're going to connect Kira's abilities to the rest of the clones? We already saw it pop up between Helena and Allison earlier this season, and Kira's extrasensory and intuition, in addition to her ability to heal herself, has become more and more prominent since her car accident. Maybe that's why Evie wants to keep some aspect of the clone stuff up in some capacity. After all, the babies of Brightborn are seemingly designer babies, not crying and being colicky and perfect children for their parents. Who's to say they don't have the same abilities as Kira? And maybe that's why Sarah's Magabot was so valuable to Evie, though not enough for her to notice it was missing yet. There are just so many questions that, about this science, which is actually one of my favorite parts of this series. So what are these hallucinations of Beth that Sarah's having. I've got a crazy theory for you, Dad. What if these aren't hallucinations that Sarah's experiencing, but actually Beth, who faked her own death, saved Delphine, infiltrated some sort of shadowy Neolution in hopes to take it down, and is using this connection to guide Sarah from afar? How about that for a frackin' fringe-level theory for you? Wow. Until you just said this, I didn't think about it being Beth. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure it's Beth. I think it's uh, the the other one, KB or Mika? MK. Okay. And Mika. Yeah, I, I think that's who it might be. But I, I think the whole thing about it 
up being Beth is just way too out there. I think this is just some garden variety drug-induced hallucinations and not some weird experience or new technology. I think the idea that Kira has some super skills that even Evie doesn't know about is much more uh, plausible. And has anyone seen any of these bright-born babies or any of them that have actually turned out? All we hear about are they don't cry, they don't do anything. Well, do they do they ever end up learning how to talk? Do they ever learn how to walk? Those kind of things. So maybe, you know, or grow to term. We really don't know that the Sprite-born system really works yet. They might have a fatal flaw like the clones do. So Evie needs to keep these clones going as a potential secondary study case, just in case the Brightborn group ends up having a flaw like the average clones do. Yeah, that's a good point. They probably don't have enough distance, you know, and and age of the Brightborn babies to know what the secondary effects, what what's once they hit puberty, if some gene expression is is started and that causes some flaw or some ability or some latent gene becomes activated and and all of a sudden they start getting sick. We just don't know. But we usually end the Clone Club discussion each week with Team Hendrix. And this week we saw Allison struggling with her emotions regarding the loss of Kendall and Donnie trying his best to help her through it while also throwing a birthday party. Speaking of the birthday party, how great were Donnie's ghost stories? And also, I couldn't figure out why the cops would come in guns drawn to arrest Donnie in the middle of his daughter's birthday until I saw Detective Duco. He's really the worst, isn't he? After a near season of getting away with their drug trade, Helena murder business, uh, it looks as though the Neolution-backed cops of Metropolitan PD are having the last laugh, despite Art kicking Duco's ass. That's right, Donnie Hendricks is going all Orphan is the New Black, being sent to jail for their drug business. I, for one, can't wait to see Donnie donning orange, joining a jail gang, and generally figuring out how to survive the joint. But Dad, what did you think of Team Hendricks this week? What are you looking forward to with this story? And doesn't Helena have to come back and set it all right? So much? Yeah, I was I was wondering, where was Helena all through this party? Obviously, uh, Allison didn't want her out there in front of the neighbors. And, you know, she is not necessarily the most presentable. Well, she had left, remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So that, but anyhow, she's going to, she's going to come back and she's going to break Donnie out of custody and go all postal on Detective Duco, I think. Never have I seen cops raid a slumber party before. This was such a hysterical first. I, I've just never seen anything like it. And, oh, by the way, Donnie's stories were just awful, but the kids seemed to love them. So I guess they were okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our Clone Club discussion for the week. Thanks again for joining me, Dad. We'll see you next week. Right. All right. And with that, we already wrapped up Orphan Black. Michael's going to join me for the party as we discuss the penultimate gun season finale of Supernatural Season 11. Can also discuss the season that ends in entirety. Can where we think it could go next year? Can I think it's going to go in a good direction? So let's take it away with that section. All right, everybody. Believe it or not, I am here with Michael to do a Supernatural review with him this week because I thought that uh, Supernatural had a better season. And because of that, and the fact that the show's improved, I want to talk about that and let you all know that it's back on my watch list again because I thought this season was pretty good. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the penultimate season 11 episode and the season 11 finale. So we're going to start talking about the penultimate episode, Can We Happy Few, and the finale, Gelfin Omega. So with the first episode, the penultimate episode, kind of had like a guy episode climb to it where the supernatural brothers Dean and Sam are getting kind of the band together in my opinion to uh, take out the darkness Michael what did you think about that episode because it's all like setting they had to take down the darkness I thought their original plan to just throw everything they had at her actually worked really well and overall I was kind of like I'm not going to say disappointed with how it ended but I was kind of confused as to why it didn't work you know what I mean yeah especially because, after all the awesome visual effects and everything right 
right. I mean, the visual effects in the episode were great. I mean, especially by supernatural standards and with everyone throwing everything they had at it, especially like that part with Crowley when he comes out, like that was awesome. Yeah. That was really cool. And I was really excited about that. But like, I don't know. I just felt like it should have worked, but it almost felt like they did everything in their power to not finish it off this episode because they knew they were having one more episode. You know what I mean? Because this yeah. episode felt like a finale without the actual conclusion of a finale. It's like they wanted to have the Dean and Amara seeds, but they didn't know how to fit it in this episode. Right. Yeah, they get a lot of people dog Supernatural that they haven't done. Quite a lot of action. Get the final battle against the big bad for the season, especially last year. Because there really wasn't even a big bad to battle. Right. So we needed something cool. We needed something good. They did throw it. They really did. And everybody think wanted to see God fight the darkness. But I think it would have been stupid if God killed the darkness for a lot of reasons. Yeah. I mean, I really, again, I really enjoyed this episode. And I thought it worked out really well. And I thought the whole collaboration of all these sector or fragments of the supernatural world coming together. Now, I will say, going off that point, I kind of wish monsters got involved somehow. I I know it doesn't really make sense, but... You know, at the beginning of the season, the monsters were really scared about the darkness. And so they were gathering up together, especially in the episode Baby, earlier in the season, the episode, fifth episode. Yeah. The monsters, I talk about gathering together to form armies to fight the darkness because they don't, they're not counting on the Winchesters or on the angels or on the demons to do it. So I thought it was very interesting that instead of even having them show up at all, you had your witches, you had your demons, your angels, and of course your humans represented, well, but no worse. Well, at least you had ghosts represented in the next episode. They that is- had, yeah, then you had witches. Because I kind of wanted to bring that up. Well, they can't. They killed her, didn't they? But that voodoo witch lady, she was a pretty cool character. Kind of bad they killed her off. Mm-hmm. I thought she was an interesting character. Much better than Rowena. Yeah, I don't disagree. Kind of bad than Rowena Faye. I was kind of hoping they kept her dead, because her first after that. Yeah, it, if you guys remember listening to my reviews from earlier this season, you remember how angry I was when she came back. <laughs> I was very happy when she had died. Right, but it was cool getting to see Crowley throw it up, because we've kind of forgotten how devastated this guy could be. He thought somebody wrote about something very well. To feel like in the past coming season, especially season 10, they kind of reduced it down to like a whip girl guy that was just kind of groveling to mommy mm. and I didn't, I didn't like that I wasn't a big fan of that so I, I'm glad that he showed his toughness again but I'm glad they killed Lucifer but at the same time what more could they do with it right well did they really kill him or did they just throw him somewhere I don't know they just said Garcat said in the second episode because then he was gone yeah because in the second episode it made it sound like he was somewhere else but in the first episode it sounded like they killed him well hey they could, they could bring him back I'd like to see Mark Pellegrino again yeah but at that point only bring him back for the series finale i don't know if we need to see him again before them unless you're gonna have mark pellegrino himself back the whole time as opposed to misha collins playing him which again i really like this season i thought it worked really well but you know at the same time you kind of miss mark pellegrino yeah it was nice having the old cast back in the finale yes for that same reason yeah i've I've missed him since the big since the first half or yeah i guess the first half of the season yeah it's gonna be interesting what they do with him next season necessarily yes because we may move away from angels and demons and stuff we'll get into that in a moment i I think this episode was pretty straightforward can we just go after the darkness and fighter and there was a lot of action a lot of fun it was a good episode yeah no I totally agree with you yeah, I mean it, it, like you said it's very straightforward and like I said before it felt to me more like a finale than anything else but right. it's just a penultimate so obviously we still have the finale to actually talk about yeah with the I mean, how did you feel about Chuck's role in the whole fight against the situation because of the way they set up this season um, and I've talked about this before on my reviews I mean you guys have heard me all all year talk about it but 
Um, the way they set up the seer, the season, you have to have him show up and you have to have right. him do all. But, but like I said, uh, the way Supernatural portrays God, I honestly hate it. And that's because of my personal beliefs. But you know what? I, I can't put those aside regardless of a TV show. So it's obviously not something I'm terribly happy about or I terribly like. I mean, most people can insinuate from the end of season five that Chuck was God. And I was very okay with that. And leave it be. Don't you bring him back and you make, right. But you bring him back and you make him like this wimpy, sad, depressed character. And I'm like, what? This is the guy who created the whole universe. That's not only lame, but pretty inaccurate. So that's that's basically how I felt about it. I mean, it worked, especially in the finale, how they resolved their differences. But it almost felt more like a yin and yang thing than a God versus evil thing. Right. It did kind of like was God having a midlife crisis. Yeah. Which, okay. which in what reality does that make sense? Right. Exactly. And I think that's that's what Dean's part was. Like, what the heck? Good God gets a midlife crisis? Good God, how do you do that? Right. Because that's why I talked to him again. Like, in this universe, basically, Dean Winchester is God. Because he's the only one getting anything done. <laughs> You know, I, I feel from where we started at the beginning of the season, and I, I'm not even going to talk about Dean here for a second, but with Sam, I feel like Sam should have had a much bigger role than he did. Because in the penultimate episode, he was going to take on the Mark of Cain. He was going to do it. And he was more than willing to finally be the sacrifice and be done with it. But I felt like that was totally underplayed by Dean's role in the finale itself which I don't really feel was natural, to be honest with you. I mean, there was nothing really natural about Dean and Amara's relationship at all, and I think Dean ended up bringing that up at the end, and it paid off. But it just fell out of place, especially with where Sam was starting at the beginning of the season. I don't felt we, I didn't feel like we got a conclusion with his arc because his whole thing at the big, in the first episode this year was we need to go back to saving people and hunting things. That's what we need to do. And he intentionally did not stab demons with Ruby's knife because he wanted to try and exercise the people and save their souls, which was a noble and amazing thing to do. But somehow along the way, that got lost, just like it did in season three and four. Well, they stopped fighting demons because they're going to have to see that if you think about it. Well, yeah, they didn't really. They didn't really fight anything. No. that's your problem with the show. To come up with good ideas, because sometimes they push them off to the wayside. Right. That, like, that's... for example, you could have done so much more with Bella after season three, and you just didn't. Yeah. Well, the, the whole, like, Mark Cave thing, though. Because I think it was time for it to go. Yes. You know, and I think the whole point was, we're going to scare you with the sacrifice thing, but we're not going to do it anymore, because we know that makes you angry and you're so much. Right. But do you get what I'm saying, though, about him not paying off? Like, I just right. don't think like, Sam paid off, and the way they ended his story arc with him possibly dying, even though we know that's not going to be the case, it right. just, it was very lackluster. They felt like I wanted to be more deported to make Dean the year at the end because of how off the rails he's been last season and how upset that made a lot of people's fans. Right. And to be honest with you, I haven't seen Dean as really the hero of Supernatural since probably season five. And by, well, I have a lot of reasonings for that, but it really changed after he erased Ben yeah. and Lisa Marie in season six. And after that, it's very, it's it's been hard for me to see him as the hero because he's always seemed too self-righteous after that. Before yeah, I agree. that, so much. But after Kripke left, it just, it changed, especially in season 10. I think they were trying to like kind of switch the roles between him and Sam, so Sam could find redemption, which is like, But I thought Sam found it in season five. I really do. I, I agree. I think he should have come back and found himself, and they should have just the whole no soul thing. But that's something we talked about. God knows you on the podcast going right. over again. Um, but with the next episode, I did think it was the whole thing with the spirit bomb. Well, that's something Dragon Ball Z. But <laughs> that was kind of cool. Because I'm going back to the sanitarium, Kid Rockford, for that one season one episode. Mm. Was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. Because that was a very good 
great ghost, great battle like action scene. Yes. This is like the most action we have gotten in a series. Great season finale episode. Get a long time. So I was very happy about that. Yeah. And again, I think we needed God to forgive Amara and work out the differences because I think that would have really been sacrilegious. I mean, you can believe what you want to believe, but I feel like God has to be do the right thing at the end and not be a killer. Right. That's just what I think. Because I think that that respect everybody. Yeah, I mean, they ended it really the only possible way you could have. Exactly. Good. Throw Winchester sacrifice to which I was happy about. No. Although, well, you never know, but with Sam next season after getting shot, but he's not dead. I'm not really worried about it, but I'm worried about that Reaper on their tail. Yeah, okay, I'm a little nervous. I was very, very nervous. Quit this episode with me. That the episode was going to end in a new article. Because he's going to come up and say Jeff the Knackles. Because that could be unsupernaturally, but it did not happen. What, you thought that he wasn't coming back, really? I just I thought they were going to throw that at us. And they didn't want to tell anyone until after the failure. They didn't do that. But you know what? Those guys really love the show. And yeah. I don't know if it's the show they love, but I think they really love the characters. I think they love each other. And I think they love the cast and crew. And quite frankly, they both have families. And it's an easy paycheck. Yeah, that's, that's probably the truth. God, my Take the team. I was worried with Jeremy Carver leaving that one of them was going to do that because of the tight end family relationship. I thought, I thought Jeremy Carver was leaving because it was a situation where I don't know how I could do this now that I need. But it turns out he's getting his own show. Yeah, he's in frequency. With Faith and Mist, which could be cool. Come on, check yeah. it out. We're going to review it. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, but Robert Singer and Andrew Dabb are taking over the show. So they wrote the better episodes. Right, which also makes me really happy because Andrew Dabb wrote the Bloodlines episode in season nine, which was supposed to be the back pilot to the Bloodline show. And I really want to conclude to that, so that might mean we might get it. Possibly. Possibly we could get that. But I think this was an end to all the God and religion stuff on the show. I don't think you can do much more with it or make it much better. So I really think what we're going to get next year, because it's a very cool season. Of course, Supernatural is going to be back this piece. Yeah, basically, we're trying to be here is you're going to have monsters and demons. If you have demons to a certain extent with Crowley popping up and stuff like that. But I think your big bad is going to be human. I think your big bad is going to be the Men of Letters. Yeah, their whole thing where they think the Witchesters have made a mess. Yeah, I think what we're going to find out is the Witchesters are better than they are. You know, it's, it's better the way they do things, and I think there's going to be a clash between cutters and men of letters on how things get done. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that, but I also think at the same time that Sam and Dean need to finally take responsibility for some of their actions. Because, I mean, if you look at the past few seasons, right. all the bads that have shown up have been because of their choices. Right, and I think we will get that too. Because I think there's not going to be a need to sacrifice or come back from the dead or anything because they're fighting a human enemy. Right. It's, it's going to be saving people healthy things. Right. And, I mean, I said that a few podcast episodes ago where basically my hope for next season of the show is that they would go back to going and fight monsters and ghosts and all of that and you know demons every once in a while but back in the days where it was just seasons one and two demons showed up every once in a while but that wasn't the main focus it was the urban legends and the myths and the stuff that made the show great in the first place the stuff that actually legitimately got me scared going to bed that night and that was that was supernatural you know good i think Andrew would bring that back i think so too because i think he really likes the monster episodes which is great because you know at this at this point i don't care about the plot line i just care about the monster episodes because in my in my opinion the best part of this season were the monster episodes and yes i like the overall plot line and yes i like the return of certain characters and yes i like the conclusion of certain arcs but my favorite episodes this season were always the monster of the week episodes well, which well, maybe, yeah, people, huh baby in itself well that i mean that could go in your top 10 easily that was a fantastic episode but i also like the invisible fred that was a clever yeah. idea yep yep the imaginary fred episode was great and the one where they met with jody about yes. alex and claire that was hilarious because they may bring they may bring that back i think this metal letter six well jody's a hunter so i feel like like they could easily fit. Because that mm-hmm. could be one of the messages that the Men of Letters clean up. They're like, you left this, you know, girl who's a, you know, a vampire with this lady to 
sheriff and you know Seuss Falls. Like that's not cool. We've got to take them out. You know, I think it's gonna be stuff like that. Where their their problem is gonna be just how Greece have enough to take consequences for their actions. But I think the battle letters are gonna go so far that they're gonna do things they say. Yes, I I agree. I think that's probably exactly where it's gonna go. Actually, it's kind of funny. The men of letter like the English charter or the men of letters or where the European whatever. Yeah, I think it. I, they seem a lot to me like the Watchers Council for Buffy. Yes, and I think we're going to really see a clash here with them coming back to America finally for whatever reason. And I don't really know what it was that triggered them to come back. It could have been the darkness, but I, I for some reason I think it's something else. That's probably true. Can I also feel like you know the hunters are going to basically be like, who are these jerks? You know, how can they tell us to do? Right. Because you know how the hunters are. I mean, a lot of them are big jerks. Well, exactly. I mean, they're just like, what? Who are you to tell us what to do? You know, Bobby can come back and call them a bunch of digits, you know? I will say this, though. I, I, of course, really do want Bobby to come back on the show. Absolutely. And I want him to, like, come back to life, too, preferably. But I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah. Either way, I just, I don't want to see any more politics in heaven or hell. I, I don't I, care. I about think we should be too aware of that. I think Cass should be a character that comes in for a health or information or just runs heaven. To be honest with you, Cass's role in season six, I think, is what they should model this after. He showed up every once in a while. He didn't really get in the way. And I'm not saying he should be a villain or working with Crowley behind the scenes. That's not what I'm saying at all. But just just the concept of how often he appeared, I think, would work. Right, exactly. And I think with Crowley, the whole thing is he's a necessary evil to get charge of hell. Because I think we discovered when he's pretty back over. And I think that the Metal Letters are going to have a problem with that. So the Winchesters are going to be like, you guys don't get it. Yeah. So there, there's going to be that. But, but that threat is not going to be anything to do with heaven or hell. I hope not, no. But the thing that's stumping me is bringing back Mary Winchester. Like, I hope she's not a reoccurring. I hope she's not a regular character. Here's the thing. I, and I just read this theory, and I could totally see it as being true. Is Dean actually in heaven right now? Ooh. That's possible. Because that would explain why she's not around like, all the time. Not to mention, God kind of zaps him away. Yeah. But then he comes back from he comes back from heaven to save Sam. Yes. So it'd be like the reverse of season four. Yeah, it's like, well, that, and it's the reverse of sacrificing himself. Yes. That would kind of work. Yeah. He, he could heal or something like that. Yep. Gordine comes back as an angel. Well, that would be <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one, but... They should call the episode Touched by an Angel, if they did that. You know, I just, uh, <laughs> not only just thinking that, but I just watched the episode from season two where they think the dead ghost is an angel, yes. and he makes that exact comment, which is so funny. Oh, that's awesome. But, but anyway, that's, that's where I stand. I don't, I don't know what next uh, season's going to be, but. Do you think they'll make her, like, a John Winchester character? Where she feels like she's got to go off and find out stuff about the Men of Letters, and she's going to, like, call them and stuff throughout the season? Could be. I mean, that would be a good way to go back to the season one roots. Because we thought that the, she may have information about the other brothers for both the Winchester and Campbell side of the families. Right, because on her on her Hunter's bracelet, the Men of Letters logo is there. Right, so it's very possible. They could go there. Um, don't want like, Samuel to come back. We talked maybe flashbacks. Could be interesting, but we'll see. Yeah. All right, well, I think that wraps it up, and I think we're just going to carry on my wayward son to next season. Then. We're going to dive right into Deco telling everyone what we're going to do on our next Person of Interest on the episode. Yeah, on next week's episode, Dan and I will continue our reviews with two episodes of Person of Interest, and Bill and my review of Orphan black dc nation has wrapped for the season but make sure to rejoin us in the fall for gotham supergirl flash arrow and dc legends of tomorrow and possibly a newcomer krypton on the sci-fi channel also be sure to keep an eye out for dan nikki and my review of the sixth episode of season six of game of thrones on the thrones cast podcast finally be sure to keep an eye out for dan nikki and joshua doing the marvelverse podcast this summer with their coverage of deadpool and a special episode on daredevil season two coming out soon but for now we're going to roll that pre-recorded closing get out of across the airways podcast network website across the airways.com again that's across the airways.com you can check out all of our podcast shows available as their own individual programs get the itunes store okay google 
Play Store. Guys, for the podcast shows, Color Network, we have the DC Nation podcast located at dcnation.acrosstheairwaves.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews popular DC comics related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast located at marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairwaves.com. Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews Marvel comics related TV shows and movies. Again, we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheairwaves.com. Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheairwaves.com. In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airwaves podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airwaves, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, got the mixed radio station, code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the podcast box app. Got if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace. Got the Windows Marketplace, got a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Got for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Got across their waves. There's no thought in there. It's just across their waves. Join our circle. Got Google Plus. Or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363. Could get it 773-809-3363. Also, when sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Get the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. God the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. Alright, so once again for our fantastic Color ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Amy, Wu Kim, Joshua Mercury, Steve Nostro, James Heffel, and Michael J. Petty, who we'd like to thank for doing great Supernatural reviews all season long. I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Revstack. Gonna tell our next episode. We'll catch you on the airwaves. See you everybody. Have a great weekend. Yes, we are gonna take doing podcast some more so don't worry about that see ya
geldi. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.